0: Welcome to the Imaginative Storm Podcast, always going twice five miles and more for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nave, always broadcasting first on WPVMLP Asheville, 103.7 and streaming online, wpvmfm.org, the voice of Asheville heard all over the world, and on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio out of Taos, New Mexico. Thank you, Walter Parks, for our theme song, WalterParks.com. For more on Walter's music, thank you, Devine Dial, for managing WPVMFM, and Robin Collier for helping us out in Taos at Cultural Energy Radio. Today, my guest is Beth Orr. Beth is an authenticity and an intuitive guide. She focuses on helping people connect with all of their senses and she is most especially interested in the sixth sense. In this conversation, Beth unpacks the scientific reasons why the sixth sense has become more accepted in our current thinking. And in fact, she points out, scientifically, the sixth sense is very much present. It's not some tale that was told around the campfire about something that may or may not exist. She actually has plenty of evidence and lots of personal experience around the work she does that tells us, hey, it's there and it's available, like all of our other senses, to use when we need it, which is most of the time, because how can we exist in the world without our senses, including the sixth sense? And and we even go a little further than that in this conversation speculating on the fact that maybe we have more than six senses and we're just discovering them as we go along. So please join me as Beth and I go well over twice five miles in this imaginative storm conversation. Beth, or welcome to Twice Five Miles Radio.
1: Thank you so much, James. I'm so excited to be here and further our conversation from last week. It's really exciting to be on your show.
0: Well, we can do that. And I was thinking about how I would like for this conversation to go. And I was reading your website and you were talking about the sixth sense on your website, which seems to be a theme for you, which is a theme for you. And I was wondering, we of course, all we all have five senses and we may have more than six senses. I don't know. I suspect we might. And I wanted you to start this conversation by just free-forming around how you view what we're naming as the sixth sense. Take us somewhere with that.
1: Sure. Absolutely. And I'm I'm excited where you're starting because that's just about my favorite spot is with this invisible sixth sense. That's, that's what's so fascinating to me. It's like we have these tactile senses, which by the way, most times we are on autopilot. We don't even necessarily recognize that we're seeing and listening and, we take those senses for granted. And so I think that it's not necessarily um, out of the realm that it makes sense why we're actually finding it now, because it's so elusive. And that's the thing that fascinates me most, because I feel like it's probably the sense that has the most impact on us, but yet we're unaware that it's even really occurring. And so many people now are starting to recognize and become interested in what is this sixth sense? What is this like around us that we can actually interact with? And so for me, that's where I feel like it really where my life started to change is when I started to recognize that there was this current, that there was this communication system is kind of what I think of it. As we're interacting with the universe, oftentimes, I've had these impassioned appeals to the universe, but yet in a relationship, it's two ways. It it can come back to us. And so if this universe isn't able to speak to us, then then how is it speaking to us? Is that not true? Or is it that we haven't been able to listen? And so for me personally, our sixth sense is hardwired within us and is this two-way communication with the universe. And so when I am sensing something, when I am feeling something, oftentimes that may be based on some of my own personal experiences, but sometimes it's from somewhere else. It's this realization that I'm asking to go in a particular direction and everything in me says, we might call it instinct, we might call it gut, but everything in me says, this is what you're supposed to do. It's not practical. I don't have a way to do it, but I know that that's the direction for me, given who I am and what I'm looking to do in the world, that that is my direction. That is a sixth sense. That's my intuition. You mentioned practitioner, and and honestly, it's one of those evolving terms trying to figure out in this new world, kind of what you, how you would describe yourself. And I've kind of landed on, at this point, it could be different in, in a bit, uh, an authenticity intuition guide. And part of that is because it used to be that we had these power differentials, like, you know, somebody's an expert, you know, you have somebody that you're sharing this information with, which kind of creates this power differential. And for me, it was really important as somebody who has been on the receiving end of so many wise people and sharing how they utilize their intuition. When we're cultivating this sixth sense, it's you yourself. That is the person that is going to uniquely determine what that looks like for you. I can give you some guidelines. I can say this is how it comes to me. But it's so fascinating and interesting how different people have their intuition kind of pop for them, right? And often within their five senses, their very visible, tactile senses. will still manifest slightly differently for each person, which is just so fascinating to me. I think we're just on the cusp of understanding this.
0: The cusp of understanding it, why now? How come we are just beginning to understand this? Because we've been around for a long time. Is this a scientific understanding? Because we've evolved so much scientifically, we are now able to figure out almost mathematically how this works.
1: That's a, a great question and Scientifically, yes. Um, We're actually now, we, we have some practitioners, some neuroscientists that are actually examining the brain and starting to be able to pay attention to when somebody is in our five tactile senses, there's a certain way that the brain fires and works. And they're now starting to see that there's different parts of the brain that actually are different areas of the brain that are working whenever your intuition is firing for, for individuals. So they're just starting to kind of map this center of the brain and understand that it actually is a tangible thing. But I think why now is because a lot of people are asking the question and it's socially acceptable. I think there used to be so much risk. I was just talking to somebody the other day about um, some of our history of understanding this. And, you know, you used to have these mystics and monks, practitioners that would literally stay in these types of, of states communing and being in silence. They had this connection and it really wasn't for any kind of purpose, but it did End up giving us more of an understanding as they were able to pass it down and it was replicable, and other people were able to do it. But there was a time in our life where, if you talked about this and you said, I'm sensing something from beyond, and this is what it feels like to me, there were certain people in religion that were known to have the answers. And those individuals were who we went to. And if you had a direct relationship with this divine energy or this, you know, energy from beyond us, then it was actually something that you could be ridiculed for, you could be ostracized for, you could be kicked out of the tribe for, you could be killed for. And so I think there really wasn't a safe place. And I would even say in my great grandparents' generation, there was a lot of silence around when you were just trusting your gut when you had an intuitive impulse, usually people were very silent about that. They, they may they may move on it because they really trusted it. It was very uncomfortable to talk about it because there was still a lot of stigma around trusting that direct, not something that somebody else can hear or confirm. If we can't see it and we can't understand it, then it's not true. And I think we're now entering into a world where people are really curious There's no doubt that there's not some validity to this. And now science is starting to back it up, which is making people curious, a bit more curious about it. There's a little bit more leaning in, openness to it.
0: You use the word beyond, and that word implies a proximity, distance. How far do you think the beyond lies? Where is this beyond? We have pretty much agreed that the universe will deliver. But where is this beyond? Is it far? Is it near?
1: Yeah, great question. Because I think it's both. I think it's super near. This beyond is as close as within us, right? Because if this is a two way communication system and then this is a relationship that we have with somebody, no different than when I love somebody in this world, they're within me. I feel them, right? I have this memory of when I think of this person my neurobiology, we know it changes. My emotions change, the feelings that I'm feeling, all of it. Like I can feel it inside me. I'm having an image of somebody in my mind and I can feel them inside me. And if I were to shift to somebody else, it would do the same thing. So I think with this relationship, with this energy that's outside of us, right? Beyond, we think of it also, not only right here, but we think of it as out here, right? Just like a, a, a person, a physical person is outside of us, but yet they're connected to us and they're within us. It's like there's this like invisible string that's energy that connects us. And so this beyond to me personally, because we're talking not about a, a person or an individual, we're talking about this universe, this vast universe. To me, it's infinite, And so as far away as you can possibly get and as close to you as inside you, which is such a dichotomy, but yet that's how it feels to me.
0: Interesting, because it just occurred to me with your description that everything is beyond, even if it's a a centimeter beyond our skin. Yes. Yesterday, I was out last night looking at the stars, looking at the Big Dipper, And I was standing with a friend, we were looking up and I, and we were saying, oh my goodness, look at all those planets that make up the Big Dipper. I said, those planets are as far away from each other as we are from them. And yet for us, there's the Big Dipper in the sky, like an Etch-A-Sketch drawing. If that's not beyond, I don't know what is.
1: Yes, beautifully said. I love that. I love that. And I love that visual too of, of understanding that it's so far, we imagine it, we know that it's further than what we can see, right? But yet we see it with our tactile senses and feel it as close, like in our body. But you're right, it's beyond us, right? In differing levels, but but we can still feel it within us.
0: And I've often used that term, the beyond, as if, oh, somewhere, in the great beyond somewhere far, far away, but it's really the beyond is really a rather personal proposition because it is upon us as well. Yes.
1: It's also what our thinking is and how we, how we feel with that. Right. So, because you are in a sense of wonder with your friend and you're seeing it, like you're just like, Oh, wow. You're feeling it. Some people, have never even stood outside and looked at the stars like that. It's hard to fathom, but some people haven't even really stopped to really look more than a cursory glance. So your interpretation is based upon your relationship with the stars.
0: Going just a little bit further with that idea of the beyond, we speak beyond in a reverent fashion. And yet you and I are beyond each other I am your I am in your beyond and you are in my beyond they say and I believe it's true when a group of people get together or two people are close their heartbeats synchronize so that synchronization of the heartbeat to beyond experiences are synchronizing to make this connection
1: that's one of the reasons why it was so difficult for people during the pandemic, when we were really isolated from each other, is this is that we had all of these social gatherings that allowed for us to belong and feel this sense of connection with each other. But it was our excitement, it was our energy that brought us together. So, you know, this if you've ever been to a sporting event and your team makes a goal and everybody has this collective eruption. Right. That's the synchronization, like you were talking about, of the heartbeat. That is like this emotion that we all feel, and it becomes amplified when it's the collective. When it's me experiencing this at home by myself, I'm like, woo, I have this excitement. But when I have that with 20,000 people, it is a whole other level of experience, right? When you're experiencing that collectively, it's a whole other level of belonging.
0: And when the pandemic came and we were all alone, our hearts longed for that connection. Wouldn't that be why so many people said, I'm lonely. My heart is lonely to synchronize with the other hearts around me. Mm -hmm. Back to the sixth sense or the multiple senses beyond the five that we are, are aware of and use all the time
1: absolutely absolutely no doubt people were experiencing that that isolation and, and we didn't necessarily have language for what was happening right it, it wasn't clear at the time because it was so abrupt it was such an abrupt uh, beginning of something new that many people i think weren't necessarily prepared for
0: And there's a natural rhythm the heart has and a natural way that we synchronize or connect with other people. And I'm thinking now about trauma. When people experience trauma, they experience trauma in war, they experience it in the home, they experience it in unexpected ways like an accident. That trauma disrupts the synchronized heartbeats and creates a dissonance. And that dissonance is where the Trauma comes from. I think I'm speculating here.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting with trauma too. That's something that I've worked with a lot in my career, and I'm really, really interested in. But you know, oftentimes, whenever you have that dissonance, it's really uncomfortable for somebody to be in their own rhythm, which is very different than the rhythms around them. And they know it. They know that they're in a different place. Whether you're having extreme grief, or you know, um, there's some sort of um, aggression or something whatever is going on with you that you would consider to be traumatic you feel the separation from the people around you so what we see many times are is trauma bonding where two people who have a similar trauma basically they're not in dissonance anymore they're actually cohesive with somebody which is such a relief right you find somebody else that sees the world like you do their heart beats just a little bit slower. There's just a little bit more of an ache. You're willing to stay in that kind of sadness a little longer. And that's trauma bonding. It's like, Oh, I found somebody who's at the same resonance as I am.
0: Really interesting. I'm going to take this a little further because earlier in our conversation, you mentioned authenticity. I would like for you to think, reflect on truth and authenticity. We hear both. I want to tell me the truth. I want to be authentic. And I'm thinking the authenticity that would come when two people trauma bond would be a kind of truth, a kind of authenticity. I would like for you to unpack authenticity a bit to help us understand how we can become more aware of when we're feeling authentic. I often think I'm authentic, but I don't know. Am I? Maybe in the moment, but tomorrow maybe it'll be different. Truth, authenticity. How do those two ideas dance together?
1: If you think about truth, first of all, there's no one universal truth. And I think historically we've always thought there's this one universal truth, which is is in part what's got us in this shape as a country in a world, because we all feel like there's this one truth, right? And so, if everybody has kind of their different opinion, the gloves are on, right? Because I'm 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 trying to make a case for my position so that I can illuminate the truth, right? But my belief is, is that there isn't one universal truth. Um, even even when you were talking about, there could be a seventh sense or an eighth sense or multiple other senses. We don't know. We sure didn't know that there was a sixth sense about 100 years ago, <laughs> right? So our understanding over time is, is, is that we know what we know now, but it could change because we're explorers. We, we're curious. We want to, to have discovery. So somebody's truth is their personal truth to them. It's their vantage point. It's My truth is this is how I grew up. This, these are the people that have poured into me. This is the information that I've learned. This, these are my belief systems based upon those thoughts and feelings. And so my personal truth about what I believe is happening in the world is this, right? And somebody else is positioned just the same. And they're coming to the same conversation going, you know, James, this is you, right? And you have your experiences growing up, where you grew up, where you were nurtured in in, in that microcosm, in that community, by the people, and how you were poured into, which gave you thoughts, which gave you beliefs. So when we, we are talking about something, we both have unique vantage points on truth, right? Where authenticity is different is, is authenticity is, there are many things that I can think are true in my life, but I'm not going to choose to act on and be very intentional about the way I'm shaping my life based on all those truths, right? So some of them are going to give me emotions that, and we all get to choose what kinds of emotions we want to predominantly be part of our life as we're building it. For me, I'm interested in us being aware of what lights us up, what gives us joy, what has us so engaged about our life that we're like, ooh, I get to do this today. I I get to interact with these individuals. I get to contribute to society in a way that sustains me, that is interesting and engaging to me, that I feel like contributes positively to other people but those are my truths those are my values those are things that that you see and so I have this set of beliefs and these truths that are mine but then I start to design this authentic being this self this mind body spirit that I am I get to start designing this in a way that's very intentional that is authentic to me you mentioned how do we determine this? And for me, if I've got a project on my list and I, and for a week, I haven't made any movement towards it. I start asking myself, wait, is this something I feel like I should be doing? Or is this something that I want to do? Right. And I start asking myself some questions. Sometimes it's that this is absolutely what I want to do but I need to recognize that there may be a piece of this that I need to know more information. I have to start gathering that, but I have to really settle into discernment, right? I have to start discerning is this mine or is this something I've taken on well-intentioned, but I need to, I need to, to let this go. Right. So it's this constant for me, awareness of, and you mentioned the word feeling, and I think that's incredibly important. It's, invisible, but it's not. You think of, of feelings as invisible movement inside of us. We talk, our emotions are, are actually energy in motion in our body, right? And so knowing that these feelings that we have are actually clues to, is this aligned with my truth? Is this aligned with who I authentically want to be in this world? And when you start to tune into how you're feeling, it's the Biggest tool. It's the biggest resource that we have for knowing: Are we living an authentic life? Are we being our authentic self, or have we taken on something that, like I said, maybe well-intentioned or um, that has been put on us? And we need to re-examine that and say, maybe I need to let this go.
0: You use the word "should," and I'm thinking there's a relationship between the word should and the word must.
1: Mm. And I'm
0: thinking of people who have lots of responsibilities, who are doing the best they can to live up to those responsibilities. People who have children, people who have jobs they have to go to, even though maybe they wish they could go to another job. I Mm. should go to my job this morning because I need to pay my rent at the end of the month. That should becomes a must I must go to my job in order to pay my rent. So we live in a world of hope and dreams and following our intuitions. And everybody I believe has that. How would you speak to someone who must get up and must go to work and must do the things necessary to keep the ball rolling? At the same time, they're listening to the song as they drive down the road on the radio and they feel that tug oh, my intuition, I wish I could stop at Beaver Lake and just walk around the lake all morning rather than drive to work down Merriman Avenue. What do you say to somebody like that? How do you give them a sense they can reach into that dream they might have that they're feeling hindered from?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I think... That's a, um well, first of all, I think con- like language is extremely important. So these, these words like should and must, whew, like I just even saying, I'm like, I felt something in me. I was like, ah, oh, like I'm opposed to, to those words. Something in me is repelled by that. Right. So, Looking at where the opportunity is and, and kind of thinking about the language first, um, oftentimes what happens is we're, we're tired, we're not at our best. So this parent that you talked about that maybe is tired and they must get up and they must go to this job, right? Starting with, the reality is is, is maybe it is necessary but what if it feels like a choice? What if it feels like a conscious choice that I'm making? And I start thinking about the language that I'm using. What if I start and, and we, This is a, there's a lot of science to gratitude. Gratitude is extremely important. Like starting your day with, there are maybe things that I don't necessarily enjoy about my day or there may be something that I'm not looking forward to, but there's probably a lot more about your day that is really spot on. And starting to recognize that and say, oh my gosh, I have kids. I I, I can't believe I have kids. I am so excited that I get to be a part of these children's life. Or I have an income. I have this job. I'm so grateful. I get to go out tonight and I get to do this and that, right? And so starting to reframe because it's not to say that there's, there's value to paying attention and saying, Am I so fatigued I need to pay attention and I need to maybe do something different in my life? That's one exercise. But on a day-to-day basis, when you know that it's just rhetoric that you have going on and it's just something that you've kind of fallen into, to be aware that are there opportunities for you to reframe this, to look at this differently? Because those words actually have a physiological shift in your body, right? Dr. Emoto, I don't know if you know Dr. Um, Emoto, but he did um, the messages in water and so fascinating. I mean, he would take the same water source and he would have three petri dishes of water and he would have one word like love on one and he would speak negative words to this one and then he would completely neglect this one. And it was actually the water that had neglect that did the worst, like an absence of any kind of attention at all showed in a body or in in this source it actually had the worst results than negativity and then obviously the positive results had more nutrient rich and, and and things that you put into it grew and why this matters is we're, because we're predominantly water we're predominantly water so if you think about the implications to that when we have people pouring into us and saying positive things which by the way we can do to ourselves then when we're giving that positive self-talk, what happens is we're creating this nutrient-rich, fertile soil inside of us where things can grow that are beautiful. But when we're saying negative things to ourselves, whew, I mean, it's, it's, it's also fertile ground, but it's fertile ground for negative, more negative things to happen. We start to believe it and we create those pathways. I must do this. I should do this. Versus oh my gosh, my my life, right? The other thing I would say is, is it true? Like oftentimes when I've found myself saying that I don't have enough time, I'm actually just spending my time in a way that I need to be more intentional and thoughtful. So many times, like I've done like a time study on myself, right? We do this in work. We do time studies. We say, How are, before we go getting another employee. Let's let's see how everybody's spending their time, right? Well, we, we can do the same thing in our own personal life. And we can say, well, I got up this morning, but I, I could have gotten up an hour early. And if there's two parents in the home, one parent can stay home while the other one goes for a walk around the neighborhood in Asheville, you definitely have enough time to get to Beaver Lake wherever you're at, right? It doesn't take long. If you have an hour, you can make that drive to wherever that beautiful spot is. And you can take 30 to 45 glorious minutes to get yourself in a good space and to fill your vessel and to fill yourself up. And so I would just say for people also to recognize that so many times we're on autopilot, we're getting up an hour later when really instead of eight hours sleep, maybe seven isn't up. And, and because we want to get that walk-in, right? Maybe in the evening, um, you don't need two parents to actually go do the activities on a Tuesday night, but one parent can have a few hours to do something on their own, right? That they want to fit in. Um, so it's really getting creative, but it's also taking stock of how you're spending your time and being much more aware and intentional and, and looking for that language to make sure that You're fueling yourself and you're filling yourself up and you're creating fertile ground instead of unintentionally, um, you know, creating a space where um, it it, it supports kind of those negative thoughts reoccurring more.
0: So the words should, must, and other words, in that category are markers in our psychology when we use them that will limit us, deny us the opportunity for the more um, abundant notions that we could have from the grateful point of view?
1: Absolutely. They're actually pivot opportunities. I mean, we're human, right? So we're, we're going to have those times where we find ourselves saying should and must. and But the, the question is, how quickly do we pivot, right? Do we wallow in it? Do we think about it? Do we spend hours and days in it? Or are we like, oh, wait, I'm doing that thing again. Nope, nope. That's my pivot word, and the more aware you are, and the more you identify your words and, and the types of things that you think and use, then those are pivot opportunities to say, "No, I've got a new rhetoric. I've got a I've got a new set of beliefs that I'm going to try to really ingrain." And that's how it becomes a new skill. It becomes a new neuro pathway. You change those.
0: I'm thinking about the experiment with the water and the words, and it's mm-hmm. fascinating. But here's a question that you might be able to reflect on. If I were doing that experiment in that laboratory and I wrote the words on the paper and I had no idea what those words meant. So I'm approaching the five glasses of water with these five separate words. There are 10,000 languages out there. If I don't know what those symbols mean on those papers that I put in front of those glasses, if I'm unaware of it, and they're just symbols to me, will the water know, regardless of what symbol I put down, or does the water intuit something from me because I'm aware of what those symbols mean?
1: So we're part of the pivot. We're just like this little passing piece with this water the words stay there. So it's really interesting from what I've read, because I've kind of, you know, went down this rabbit hole with some of these questions. What I found is, is, is that they've said, and these are people that have worked with Dr. Emoto, that the words, they are what they are. Because we don't understand them doesn't matter. That word has a frequency and has a meaning and it's universal. So that water... is a a receptacle for that. And it doesn't need to know the language. It has an energetic frequency, that word. This is why when you say a word, it has an energetic frequency, right? And so on that water, when it stays with that water, what that word is, it it will know that word. It's not about us, it on there. It's not about us as a tool to put that on there. We're a passing energy with it. So we're the pivot, we're the short-term interaction. It used to be this emotion, and then I quickly changed it. But it's that sustained emotion and the frequency of that word, which has its own unique meaning that that water will know and will respond to.
0: So that would be regardless of what language the words represented. Now, following this a little more, you've got my curiosity yeah. rolling along here. Yeah would the water make the same changes if I created five original symbols mm. never before created because they're mine I've created the mind draw a little circle or whatever on on a, a sticky note and I give each symbol a designated powerful meaning love, hate, evil, joy, whatever it is and that symbol represents love. This symbol represents, the negative side of love which would be hate would the water also know that
1: I think you've created a new experiment <laughs> I think that's a fascinating idea I mean we don't know I can riff on it um, there there's been no studies on this but what I would say is how imposed is that meaning within the symbol and what's the proximity? Like what's the reinforcement of it, right? If I have this symbol and I spend myself, I spend a few hours focusing on love as I'm creating this symbol. And I like infuse love within that symbol, right? And I put that meaning into that and I put it into here. And I do that same exercise with all five of these symbols. I I create the emotion inside me. I hold it. I infuse it into that symbol. I would be curious about, If it would hold it, because that makes sense. It's not a passing exercise, right? It's not some, I wrote down the symbol, I just said it out loud, and then I put it over here. The question is, does that symbol hold the frequency and the emotion and have the meaning instilled into it to where the water can take it? Does that make sense?
0: That makes perfect sense. So this suggests an old ancient language. Like Chinese has been around forever. The symbol of love Mm -hmm. in Chinese would have, I don't know what it is, but the old ancient language would have more potency than maybe the symbol that I invent that I imbue with my own sense of love Mm. because it has acquired that over the years. Or the flip side of that is I have a sense of love that I have acquired by way of my community, of of my tribe, of my world. I know that love means love and I understand it. And L-O-V-E in English, we get it. So if Mm -hmm. I created a symbol and just said, well, this is the symbol of love that I'm going to create. All of that power might just transfer to that symbol. There's a contrast here between the ancient language and the new symbol but maybe the new symbol would just simply acquire all the ancient wisdom because I made the act of creating it and then suggesting it to the symbol. I'm getting a little heady here, but I, it's, it's exciting to think about.
1: It is exciting. But, but what actually when you were talking about it, it kind of took me into earlier into our conversation. I was thinking about this new symbol is almost like our current language. It's almost like the English language, right? The English language is in its infancy by comparison to the universal language. So if you were to compare it to a long-standing language, like you know, um, your new symbol is like English, but you have this other language which you used as Chinese, but you know, pick something that's a longer standing language that we know, it's almost like the power of this universal language, which is what we were saying with this sixth sense. This to me is why once you start to understand your intuition and you start to tune into it and you start to see that it's valid and it's true and you believe in where it leads and you know where it's come from and where it's taking you. Once you start to tune into that, that is more powerful than what I'm experiencing in front of me. This language that I'm hearing, what other people are saying, these interactions, what's tactile and what's right here and very practical This knowing, which is a whole other language inside me, this knowing is very compelling because it always matches with what's inside me that lights me up, right? It always sends me somewhere. When I'm out here interacting with people, I'm like in my head and I'm, ooh, I could do this and I could do that. And you're riffing off people and maybe it'll work and maybe it won't. But when I'm interacting from true intuition and I feel like something is right for me and I've tuned into it and I know it's my truth and I know it's it's linked to my authentic self, taking that path always leads somewhere, always leads somewhere that I'm excited about.
0: I agree with you. I've had those senses myself. Sometimes i followed them. They've worked out really well. Other times I haven't, and I've intellectualized it, and I've gone in the other direction. and well, Maybe it worked out okay, but sometimes I think I should have gone the other path. Why do you think over the years this has been so discounted by so many people? Because as you describe it, I see your face. We're on the Zoom call, even though this will be a, an audio. I, I hear your excitement. I sense the, the truth of it all. I've had that experience myself. Why has it been discounted? And some cultures don't discount it. Some cultures mm-hmm. embrace it and mm-hmm. use it as their currency.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I would ask about the cultures that embrace it because to me, when we believe in a guiding intuition, it's empowering. It suggests that I myself have a direct relationship to something and that it's really the source that I don't really need anything else outside of me. So you think about it in a a lot of powerful systems where there is a power differential, where there is somebody who is the expert or somebody who's being come to for guidance and knowledge. In those systems, they're the ones who are sharing the knowledge. we're we're coming to them for that. And I think in cultures and in systems where it is encouraged to be individuals and we have our individuality and our uniqueness is celebrated, right? And even sometimes often the uniqueness is celebrated, but in response to the collective, there are many cultures where everybody has a very uniquely different role and value but it has a collective benefit, right? And so I think the the question is is what kind of culture do we live in? What kind of systems are we are in? And those that support you finding your own way, that you have your own unique answers, those systems are going to support you in the, in this kind of development and nurturing of that of that um, sixth sense.
0: We all do have our own unique ways and our own unique voices. I'm thinking of the choir right now. We also need uh, the backup singers. Sometimes we need to be a backup singer. Sometimes we need to be the solo singer. So our, our unique voices, they sound better. They work better when they're in the choir. When there's more than one of us around singing this, these, these unique authentic notes
1: and that's our interconnectedness right this is that going back to that sense of belonging that sense of connection right and it's that dichotomy again it's this interesting fact that that we're like individuals but we're still part of this larger collective the choir isn't the choir without each of the individual people right doing their part Right. But it's this constant balance and and this awareness and even kind of to me, a little bit of a social responsibility. Right. It's important that you use your voice so that you can participate in the choir. Right. If you don't take care of it um, and you don't nurture it, then you can't be part of that collective. Right.
0: Absolutely. The choir. I'm wondering about age now. We've discussed all of this universal, um, these universal opportunities. And as we age, which is something that we do as animals, as human beings, we grow old, we finally leave this earth, we go somewhere else. When you go see your grandmother, the wise mentor sitting on the stoop, do you think as we age, we drop our guards? and start to embrace this ability to connect with the sixth sense. We don't care as much. And so that's why we have permission to go see our grandmothers, our grandfathers, the wise ones. There's not as much a hindrance for that journey. Why is that? Does age allow that?
1: Well, a couple of things come to mind. Number one, I think, you know, at some point we just know that we're getting closer to this beyond, this invisible beyond, right? Not not the beyond here, right? Inside of us, but this invisible beyond. And I think it's a natural curiosity at some point, especially like during the pandemic, I think people, it had people percolating with what, what could possibly happen, right? And where people were going. And so I do think the closer we get to whatever this other side is, that we get more curious about it naturally. And I think it depends, to your point, with grandparents. Uh, Grandparents have always been important in my life. My grandmother just passed away two months ago, and she was one of the most um, important people. Um, I I listened to her throughout her life, and I I had the benefit. Her whole life, she knew that this beyond was there. And she lived in a way that was rooted in faith and belief. That always made me curious. She had that belief because she'd earned it. She she'd walked those steps. She she was further along in the path than me. But her steeped belief made me curious about what was out there, and it was a beautiful thing, James. Like uh, some people get really entrenched in their life and their belief systems and she was very fluid she was like oh what do you believe and how do you see it and she was very like she was willing all the way up until the end she passed away at 93 she was willing to engage in those kinds of conversations they weren't you know anything scary for her but because of that curiosity culminating and, and kind of coinciding with this time that we're in where we're allowed to be curious. We're allowed to say, what is this on the other side. This intuition inside of us is this part of this. and we get to experience it and ask questions and share it with other people. And, and I believe we've we've almost started to create these new communities where people are asking those questions and sharing their unique experiences with this beyond and this energy and their intuition. And I'd just like to share real quick. I think I told you this last time, but in 1960, my grandmother took the trip. She went to 11 countries in 52 days. And that trip, like none of us knew about it. She was like 32 years old when she took it. None of us knew about it. And it was also a faith walk. It was her intuition to take that trip, to take that journey. She did not have language for that yet. But because when I was interviewing her, it was so clear, it resonated with me. And so I followed her path. I, I took that trip. I went where she went, did what she did. And then it shot a whole other level of curiosity and belief in my own intuition. And, and that's the book that I'm writing is, you know, about based upon our shared travels, because I'm so passionate about encouraging people to be curious about what's whispering inside of them that wants to be born. And instead of looking at it like something to be fearful of, from my experience, the fear comes in just looking at it from this like tactile body. But when we start to get into ourselves and we get quiet, the risk is actually not following that path. It really is like you can trust your intuition when you start to understand how it speaks and where it sends you.
0: Well, Beth, what a perfect way to close. Thank you for that insight. Summing it all up in just a few words at the end of our time together. Before we go, would you tell people listening how they can find out more about you and what you're up to and how they can say hello to you if they'd like to?
1: Yeah, sure. That's great. Um, So my website, if you're interested in learning more about the offerings that I have around intuition and finding your own authentic self, um, you can go to www.bethorr.com. And that's B-E-T-H-O-R-R. And I'm also on LinkedIn, Elizabeth Orr. And I am on Instagram and um, Facebook, Beth Orr333. So I would love to interact with folks and I'm getting some groups going on here and i just excited about meeting more people in this community and sharing uh, this experience with, with all of you.
0: And just to confirm, you're based in Asheville, North Carolina, right?
1: I am based in Asheville, North Carolina. However, um, many of the services that I offer um, are Zoom and online in this new world that we have. So uh, feel free to, to reach out to me um, if you're if you're interested. And I also have an email, Beth at BethOr.com. So shoot me a question, ask me ask me something from this. I Like I said, I look forward to having a conversation and uh, continuing to build this community that we're working toward. When people work with me, one of the things I've done is, is I've created a, a, a Facebook group called Authentically You. And it's really meant to help each other from a social learning perspective when you're trying to go for it and you're trying to find your authentic self. And sometimes you're steeped in your life. It's hard. Not having other people that know what that feels like uh, to want to do something different. So I'm really passionate about building community.
0: Well, thank you, Beth. And you've, you've enlightened us. And now we know that the beyond is not that far away.
1: It's not that far away, James. Thank you so much for your time.
0: Okay, Beth. Thank you as well. And there you go, my friends. Thus concludes my conversation with Bethor. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And I hope maybe you now have a better sense of your own abilities around your sixth sense, your ability to connect with your intuitions, to listen to your intuitions, or intuition, is it plural, is it singular? Probably a little bit of both. It's kind of fun to think about intuitions rather than intuition. I've always thought of my intuition as if it had some great, grand purpose and it sat somewhere on a pedestal. My intuition tells me this. But what if you had a bunch of little intuitions? We talked about singing in the choir. Maybe your intuition is divided into many categories, and one will help you today and another one will help you tomorrow. I mean, and when you think about the relationship between your intuitions or your intuition and your sixth sense, the numbers become completely irrelevant because if your intuitions are active rather than your intuition, maybe there are many, many more senses than the sixth sense, which we are thinking of as the singular intuition. You have infinite senses available to you to guide you throughout your your life for the small and the large decisions, for the small connections and the large connections, the large and the small. Do your intuitions even know the difference between large and small? Maybe it's all the same thing. And while we all have our differences, what we share, what we have in common is life, The, the pulsing life that's in us right now And that includes all of our intuitions, all of our senses, our range, our abilities, what we can do, what we want to do, our desires, our callings, and all of the rest of it. And on that note, before we say goodbye, I would like to offer up a poem. I've done this poem before on this show. I think it fits rather well into what Beth was saying about the beyond, what's in us and what's outside of us. So here we go. Beyond the lands of your air-sweeping dreams, the wind returns again and again from the wilds of the known through the distant trees, where shiny red hair mixes with bees, the clouds above and the earth below, along the rivers that always flow beyond where you are standing, past what seems will redeem your dreams when your breath floats high in the crow-wide sky. On this good day, travel alone with little thought for what you own. Walk with yourself through the perfumed sage, or go to the shore where the curlews play. And you can too for a moment or so, until the wind tells you it's time to go to who you are, to what you know to where you soar, near or far, on the red-headed wind, in your sky of bees." And that poem's titled, The Red-Headed Wind. I mean, what else, really? I wrote that while I was walking and dictating. So when you are thinking about writing your own poetry, drawing on all of those senses that, that you have, that Beth and I talked about, Allow yourself to expand, rather than to to withdraw. And what I mean by that, the withdrawal would be you think you have to sit in one place and type it on your computer, or sit in one place and write it out longhand. Both approaches are more than acceptable, and I do both myself. That said, when you expand beyond the traditional view of what it means to write, or for that matter, the traditional view of what it means to create anything, you will find that you are activating all of your senses in a way that you wouldn't if you came to the work thinking there's only one way to do it. Like I said, I have no problem with jotting things down, sitting at a desk, doing the doing the work in the coffee shop. I also have discovered that when we move around, that when we get up, and when we engage all of our senses, there's a a levity that happens, a smile that happens. And when you're smiling, that makes all the difference in the world. When Irish eyes are smiling, the whole world is bright and gay, my grandmother used to say to me, and she would say, let your eyes smile. And when you're playing, and when you're engaging, and when you're doing creative work, your eyes are smiling. Or let's hope they smile a little bit. Once they start, they'll continue on. So thank you so much for continuing on with with Beth and with me on this show. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for being part of the Imaginative Storm podcast experience, where we really do indeed go always more than twice five miles to find conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nave. always broadcasting First on WPVMLP, Asheville 103.7, and streaming online, WPVMFM.org, the voice of Asheville heard all over the world, and on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio out of Taos, New Mexico. Thank you, Walter Parks, for our theme song, WalterParks.com. If you want to know more about Walter's music, thank you, Devine Dial, for managing WPVMFM, and Robin Collier for broadcasting from Cultural Energy Radio out of Taos all the way from Taos a little south and up north into Colorado. So wherever you are, thank you for very, very much for listening. And I do hope you tune in again sometime very soon. And until then, hey, I'll catch you on that turnaround somewhere down the line.